We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am very excited to have Tom Mahoney, who is at Turk190 on Twitter. He currently serves as a superintendent of Oregon Community School District, Community Unit School District in Northern Illinois. As an L educator, Tom has served as secondary math teacher, coach, building administrator, and assistant superintendent, and now superintendent, of course. His experiences as a teacher serving a diverse student population continue to guide his advocacy for equity and whole child education in his administrative roles. Tom, thank you for being part of Transformative Principal and welcome. It's, my, it's my, really my privilege and honor. I love uh, sharing and listening to ideas. I think it's how we get better. So I'm really, really excited about this opportunity. Yeah, very good. Um, I want to start by talking about your personal mission statement, and um, it is Lead, Grow, Serve. Can you tell us about where that came from and and what that means to you? Yeah, so uh, I've been a, a, a big fan of Stephen Covey uh, since the original Seven Habits book came out. I believe that's uh, that was a transformative book for me. As I read that in my early 20s, um, I have reread that book multiple times, and we as a, a staff uh, administrative team have read that book multiple times here in my district. 
is the idea of building a personal mission statement about really what I would identify, what things you identify around, right? And my first one was probably, you know, four paragraphs. It was this very verbose mission statement about what I do or what I, what I think, what I say I want to be, right? We often write our mission statements about our future self. And our future self is almost always better than our current self. Isn't that amazing? You know, our future self is always going to exercise more, read more, be kinder, be patient, be more helpful. But our current self just can't seem to do that. And so over the years and over any number of failures or successes, it's kind of boiled down to these three things. I, I have a passion for leadership. I just think it's, a, it's just a great opportunity to help people. I have a passion for growing others. Uh, and that's a gift that was given to me by many other people in my life, uh, uh, from family on to uh, many educators. And then I think that we have an obligation to serve, right? My, my role here, my job on, on earth is not to find happiness. It's to find uh, opportunities to be of service, uh, which lead to happiness. Uh, often when we're chasing happiness, we get a thing. We realize that thing doesn't give us happiness because we haven't done anything. So it's the, uh, it's the opportunity to serve. And so that's, those, those three things are how, I, would, how I, wake my, I wake myself up in the morning with those three things. I remind myself before every meeting I have and every opportunity I have with uh, interacting with my community. Uh, and probably more importantly, I know I've gone a little long here, but it's how I remind myself how I deal with my own family. I, I, I discovered through my own personal travails that uh, I can be here at work and somebody asked me, hey, I need some help with something. Will you come and help me? I'll drop everything I'm doing. I'll run over to their building and I'll go help them do that thing. My wife will say, hey, can you take the garbage out tonight? I'll go, what are you, crazy? Right? I mean, so, you know, I, I often judge myself on how I'm treating the people that are most important to me, which is ironic because sometimes that's not always the best indicator of who I am or what I do. So that's kind of a little bit of a background on how that came about. Yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, I, I think about the 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 way that we treat those closest to us can be, it's like that's our true selves. And the way that we serve those who, who aren't close to us is how we want to be. And so, you know, the, the same thing with me, you know, my wife tells me to, you know, unclog the bathroom sink, you know, how many, how many weeks did she need to tell me that before I finally did it? But somebody else said, Hey, can you help me with this? And I'm right there. And I think that that, that's not just something that, that we deal with as men or as educators, but that's something that I think everybody deals with is that, that pull between who you really want to be and who you are in the moment. And, and that's a, that's a challenging thing to, uh, to figure out. So as, as a superintendent, you're, you're dealing with all kinds of different stakeholders and your principals and, um, teachers and the community and all that kind of stuff. And especially right now, there's, there's a lot going on with the coronavirus and people are, are struggling in many, many different areas. What's what's your advice to someone who's leading at a time like this of how to make priorities for what it is that we're focusing on? What what should we be focusing on first? Well, I, I it's my deep belief that when we're in crisis, I think we need to take a step back. I think in our country, we have come to a place where we're professionally outraged. So it's a perpetual state we're in. And that's, you know, that's a combination of any number of things. So people are reactive constantly. And uh, that's why when it's a slow news day and something 
some something happens at school at the at the you know the the bus stop the the, the bus driver dropped the kid off a block away from you know where they should have been if it's a slow news day that could be uh, you know a, a facebook explosion of outrage about how bad this is and again not not uh, sense, uh, uh, dismissing the idea that it, it's unfortunate we shouldn't do that those mistakes shouldn't happen right and so when we know we're like that and then we add this pandemic on top of it most people are in a constant state of crisis. When we're in crisis, we really go back to our lizard brain, right? We're in survival mode a lot of times. And so when I talk to my leaders, I talk to them most of the time about take first taking care of themselves and not allowing themselves to be controlled by the urgent. Because when those uh, teachers come to them, that's for that teacher, when they're saying, I don't know what to do, I, the copier won't work, and they can't solve that problem for them. That is really for them in their mind. That's a crisis. They're not making that up. It is inside of them getting them. So first, if the principal is not in a great place in their own health, their own well-being, it's going to be, they're not going to be able to serve anybody else. So that's the first. Thing. The second thing we talk about is this idea is you have to invite that person out of that place. No one is staying in a place of crisis because they want to be there. They just don't know how to get out of it. So we talk a lot about this idea of trying to frame things different for teachers and then trying to invite them out, literally saying to them, hey, would you be open to a different possibility on how to deal with this situation, how to look at this situation? So we spend a lot of time in those two areas. The first one is you've got to take care of yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. And the second one is having the courage to invite people to, to move out of the crisis. Well, I like how you phrase that, having the courage to invite people out of the crisis they're in. I think that's really powerful because it acknowledges two things. Number one, they have a choice to be in that state of crisis. And number two, you can't force them out of it. And so nothing you can do can make them get out of that. You can only invite. And when I think about that approach of only inviting people, that is, that's how I my my educational philosophy is rooted in that, um, is that you have to invite people. You can't make or force anybody to do anything. They always have their agency. All you can do is invite. And to me, the way you invite is that you show that it's better on the other side and they don't have to be where they're at. And so expound on that idea a little bit of what that inviting looks like and, and how you go about that. So I, I think anytime you're in a position of leadership, the most important thing you do is you build relationships. Um, again, again, healthy relationships around this idea of the shared belief, mission statement, connecting with the other person's why. When we build the, build those relationships around those shared beliefs, what the mission statement is that work in, and that shared why, we, we're both in this profession for a reason. What's that reason? The more I connect with your why, the more influence I potentially will have. So once you have that established with the other person, when you're going to invite them out, you first have to acknowledge, and that's what I said, it is real for them. This is a, for them, it may feel like a life and death situation because they can't make a copy of this worksheet that they had planned to give in the next 10 minutes. So you can't be dismissive. You can't be frustrated. You can't be angry because those things have all, all send the message, a very strong message to them that you're judging them. And, and number two, that you're not supporting them. And then depending on what their personality is, their response or reaction will be different. So uh, acknowledging where they're at, like, hey, I get where you're at. I, I understand this is really crucial urgent to you right now. Okay. The, I can't fix the copier. 
are you are you open to a possible another possibility on how we can take care of this? And that's that invitation into. And then what I encourage principals to do, depending on how they're working with the teacher, is don't solve their problem. So don't say, okay, here, here's three things you can go do. The reason if you do that is you've just told that teacher, oh, not only did they calm me down, they gave me the solution. What they what the answer then is say, okay, what are some other options you have for you that you could do this? And you can brainstorm with them. You, you may want to throw out a couple if they're stuck, right? You know, hey, you could write this on the board and have the kids write it down. You could use an overhead, right? And just write it on the overhead. You know, you can put it up, pull up in your computer. So the idea first invite, if they're willing to, then go ahead and have themselves, but also be ready that they go, no, I can't. You don't understand. This worksheet has to be done. And so then you're just going to have to let them be where they're at right now. So, okay, well, there's another copier down on the other end. I'll go cover your room for five. Yeah. And so sometimes that solving of their problem is what they feel like they need. And sometimes that's really not what they need at all. And it's interesting because we just, on the last episode, we talked with uh, Catherine Burblesing, who is the uh, head teacher at Michaela School in, in Great Britain. And she talked about the exact same issue about the copier being jammed and not working, right? And that is a very real thing that becomes a crisis for people, um, especially teachers. And and it's so fascinating because it's one of those things that in reality we know is not a big deal. But like you said, when you're in crisis, then everything becomes a, a really big deal. And it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be that way. And so I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk more about this idea of taking care of yourself and the the belief that I have around that is that you need to take care of yourself because you as a human being matter to yourself. Whether or not you matter to anybody else, whether or not you can serve anybody else doesn't really matter, but you have value as a human being and therefore you should take care of yourself. But it's really hard for educators to believe that because we're so service oriented. And so we often use that phrase of you can't fill anybody else's cup unless your cup is full first. You know, you can't serve anybody unless you're taken care of. So talk about the idea of taking care of yourself, because a lot of times we think of self-care as going to, um, you know, yoga classes or something like that. But what does taking care of yourself actually mean and how do we help leaders do that? I think it's important that, that um, a person, the lens that they come from into that space of helping themselves, right, take care of themselves. And so we'll use two really easy examples. The first one is the teacher who's the one who's the helper, who's always doing everything for everybody else, right? And then at the end of the day says, I just don't have any time for myself. But, you know, we 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 as administrators are terrible when we're like, hey, we've got this committee we need them to fill. We need to put something on there. I know who to get, right? Go get Joanne. She does everything, right? We put them, we put them on there, right? So So there's the person who volunteers too much right? And it is overly giving. Then there's the person who, who's, I kind of put in the, the, that category of, let's say they're disgruntled. This was me, by the way. Um, kind of always get, seemed to get in trouble. When I was at school, I was in trouble. When I was at home, I was in trouble. When I was with my friends, I was in trouble. When I was alone, I was in trouble, right? Where just things don't go well, or particularly, I can't find happiness in many cases. Okay. So, those two lenses are different. One person is looking at saying, I'm doing too much. I don't have any time for myself. One person is angry saying, why is this always bad stuff always happening to me? So I was that one. So I'll start with the, that one first. What it dawned on me was that I was the only common denominator in every situation. 
right? I've got a friend I coach who has been in multiple jobs and they've been unhappy in every job. At some point, it can't be the jobs, right? At some point, it's got to be the person. So I don't know who said it. I just heard it over the years, but I take me with me wherever I go. And for those people, it's so helpful to understand that you're taking yourself with you wherever you go. So you're bringing and leaving what all this behind you every time. So once I got to that understanding, then I knew it was me and my behaviors. So that allowed me to say, here's what I should focus on, right? I should focus on, you know, what, what, what is this urge I need to be in disruption? So that would be the one lines in terms of how I take care of myself. Much of the work I do is around how do I, how do I, how, how do I find peace? And that can be done any number of ways. For me, I work out every morning. I'm on the bike every morning at 5.15 a.m. Every evening before to go, I go to bed, there's a meditation session. Throughout the day, I practice mindfulness, even if it's one minute of sitting. And those are real things I do that I've taken a long time to develop. Now, the other people, which is most teachers, it's the I overcommit, I overhelp. They have the hardest time carving out time for themselves because... They feel guilty saying no. So for those people, that lens looks different. That lens looks, you have to help them learn how to build boundaries. You have to help them. You have to empower them and be able to say, it's okay for me to say no. Or it's okay to say, I can do what you're asking me to do. What do you want me to take off my plate? You know, that zero net sum game. So it's not so easy to say, you know, I I know and mindfulness is a very popular topic. We just give people mindfulness and it'll make them all happy. It won't work. You have to, you have to know how you got to where you're at because you're taking you with you wherever you go to make sure that you're better when you get to that next place. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful example. Those two different approaches. I would like to talk about your youth a little bit because um, you and I share a commonality in that we didn't do so well in school and now we're leading schools and that's a, a little bit different. I know that my ninth grade English teacher, if she, knew that I became a school principal, probably roll over in her grave for sure. <laughs> so so talk about how how you made that change from being a guy who, you know, was failing all your classes to becoming a 4.0 student and now getting a doctorate in education. How did you how did you make that shift and be able to make that change? I thought interest in topics were innate. I didn't know you could choose curiosity. And so along my journey, if it was something I was interested in, I was great in. If it was something I either wasn't interested in or I didn't feel I was good at, then I I just wasn't going to do it. And and I I refused to do it. So uh, at a very young age in first grade, my my teacher at parent-teacher conferences told my mom that she thought I was mentally handicapped. And, And early on, that stuck. That I can see where that was an excuse that I had built into my head. That it was easy then to say, well, I can't do it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I probably need special ed classes. That's why I can't do it. And my mom refused to believe that. All my standardized test scores were strong, but my regular work was terrible. I had a very difficult time reading early on, which if you, you any of those who are elementary teachers know that then the core foundation of what you do in elementary school for the first several years is so heavy in reading. So my first five or six years, and I couldn't sit still. It was a bad combination of, of learning in a very traditional setting. It wasn't until I was in eighth grade that there was a teacher who looked at me, told my mom, seventh grade, told my mom, he, he, it's got nothing to do with, there's nothing wrong with him. He's lazy. He won't do it. And she wasn't right. It wasn't that I was lazy. I didn't know. I didn't know I could do it. 
And so that person saw more in me than I could see in myself. And they invested in me and they, they held me accountable to a high standard and didn't let me off the hook. The same thing happened when I went into high school. Now, I want to be clear, it still didn't change my trajectory. I still didn't. I wasn't a great student. I, I behaved in a way, a man, I figured out the system so I could get through. So didn't have great grades. Then my sophomore year in college, I had a 1.43 or 1.7 grade point average second semester. And they invited me not to come back to school. And I had to take a semester off. And I started working in that semester. And in that time, something happened. I realized that learning was a choice. I could choose to be interested. I could choose to be curious. And I could, and then it really changed my perspective. It, it, I, things I was afraid of, I became excited about. And I tell people all the time, especially because as a dean of students, I used to deal with parents who have kids who were really struggling. They say, what are we going to do with them? And I would say, you just got to stay consistent over a period of time. Just know it's not how you start this. It's how you finish this. Because for me, it didn't click until I was 20. But all the lessons those people had taught me, invested in me all those years finally came out. Now, I would have been, it would have been much better for me probably to be in a Montessori school or a very, a school that was really active or maybe even a boys only school where that was the standard of behavior. It probably wouldn't have been quite a a difficult journey, but uh, it it all worked out in the end. It probably made me a better educator because of my experience. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. TeachFX and get a special offer. Visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Yeah, you know, I think for me, it's definitely made me a better educator because um, my perspective is if if we're if a kid is acting out or is not engaged, then there's something that's not speaking to that child. And and I love how you said it's not how you start, it's how you finish and that you finished, you know, two years after you graduated was when you finally learned the lessons that you needed to learn. And oftentimes we get stuck as educators in this idea that it has to happen now and it has to be right this moment. But we have to recognize that, you know, a K-12 education really just takes a kid through the first 18 years of their life, which really is not a very big portion of it. And there's so much more beyond that. There's so much more for them to learn and grow and be able to do that 
you know, K-12 is really just a small slice of that. But it's really big for us because we work in it, because we see these kids and we see how much better they can, better off they can be if they can figure these things out early. But it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, my situation was kind of similar to yours. Um, I was an English major and I showed up to a class at the end of my freshman year um, and it was the final. And my teacher said, you know, Jethro, you don't, you don't even have to take this final because you're not going to pass even if you ace this. <laughs> so... At the time, I said, sweet, I'm going back to bed because it was an early morning class. And I didn't realize at the time, I mean, I went back later and retook that class because I did fail it, but I totally aced it because I had a different perspective at that time, right around the age of 20, similar to you, where I said, okay, I can choose to be interested, I can choose to be curious, and I can choose to learn. And since that time, I mean, my learning has just taken off drastically. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of of meeting the needs of kids where they're at. And so, for example, you you have talked about doing different things to to support kids uh, and and promoting self direction for kids, things like that. Why does that matter to you to have students be focused on uh, their own self direction? So I'm a strong advocate of the concept of whole child and also that when I look at learning and I think about social emotional, right, and I think about physical development and I think about academic development, and then obviously I encourage parents with their spiritual development. We think about those four realms. I don't weight any one of those higher than others, which I'm very blessed. I'm with a board that also doesn't weight any one of those higher than others. So our focus is not mainly on saying the most important thing is we have strong ELA and science scores. So from that lens, then what I've realized is, and I, and as an early young superintendent, I wouldn't say that was accurate. As a young superintendent, I was very worried about my test scores only. But what I found was we had kids graduating who were, you know, they were killing it on test scores. They couldn't survive. They they didn't have the skills necessary to be productive in life. And in our mission statement is to have educate students to be lifelong learners who are productive, responsible citizens. Then you have to be in control of your own destiny to be productive and responsible, right? And so everything shifted for me when I saw that. Nothing is more frightening to me than the child who was good at school because they go to college and they're good at college. They come out of college and really that's the only place being good at it works is in in undergrad and in high school because once you get out into the workforce in most cases they want you to be they don't want to have to tell you everything you have to do to be to be good right so they suddenly experience failure for their first time and it's devastating we didn't want that to happen so our whole idea with the leader and me is we want to equip students with the skills so that they can take control of their own learning And some of that is structural inside of the classroom, you know, sharing some of that responsibility. But most of that is building up what's inside of them innately. They may or may not have heard these things in their life, but hearing those things and starting to understand the framework around what does it mean to be personally responsible? I take me with me wherever I go. If I could figure, if I could have figured that out when I was in fifth grade, as opposed to 20, I think I, it, you know, I, I'm, I, guess, I guess I'm happy it didn't because it made me who I am, but it certainly would have made my path more productive and I would have done less harmful things to myself or hurtful things to my family, right? I could have been just better, a better person during those times. So that's my hope and belief around 
equipping students with this idea that they have all the, all the skills necessary to be successful before they leave our, our district. Yeah. What I really love about that, Tom, is the idea of being good at learning is a lifelong benefit. Being good at school ends as soon as school does. And, you know, had I understood that when I was a child, I would have approached things much differently, like you were saying. And that's what I have been trying to teach my kids, my own personal children, um, of which I have four, and trying to teach them that, like, if if they just do what the teacher says, then they're going to be successful in school. But if they want to be successful in life, they really need to, they, need, they don't need to ignore the teacher, but they kind of do need to ignore the teacher. Because if they, if they're just doing what the teacher says, that's not going to help them long term, that's going to help them short term. What they need to do is find those nuggets like you did that you were able to combine all that knowledge and apply it when you were 20. They need to do that throughout their life so that they can take the best things from each person they interact with and use that to help them become the best version of themselves that's out there. And and that's a tough thing for kids to understand and learn um, at a young age. But what I see, though, is that they they don't have to understand it at that age. They can they can start following their the things that they want to learn about their curiosities at a very early age and be much more successful with that than than we could ever expect to be able to teach them specifically. You know, my daughter, for example, she she wanted to know how multiplication worked. So we told her it's repeated addition. You just add things multiple times. So what did she do? She started multiplying. It was something times 50. It was, so she started with 10 times 50. And I was like, why did you start there? She's like, well, I wanted to know how many times what 10 times 50 was. That was it. I mean, I don't know what else. Why you're asking me that, dad. I just wanted to start there. <laughs> it's yeah. And I was like, that's like, that's, that's not the hardest thing, but it's pretty difficult. So then she started doing 11 times 50 and 12 times 50 and went all the way up to 20 times 50. And again, I'm like, why are you doing this? But she said, I just wanted to, I was curious. And I was like, that's great. So she like wrote it down and, and kept track of it. And if she was in school right now, uh, she would be stopping at two times two and saying that's four, and then she'd be done. And she would never approach this idea of what is 13 times, 13 times 50. But because oh, I'm trying to teach her do, to do things this way and follow her own ideas for education, she's actually pursuing that, which, you know, I certainly never wondered what 13 times 50 was when I was a kid. Because that was never one of the standards that we needed to know. But but she's doing it. And it's pretty amazing to see from that perspective. My other daughter, she wanted to uh, start editing my podcast because she thought maybe I would pay her money. And so for the past few weeks, she's been editing my podcast and she's doing a great job. And it's really cool to see that she's learning this other thing. And, and she actually said... After she, she edited one, she said, Dad, that interview was actually interesting. <laughs> I was like, great. So something is, something is happening. So kids can learn these things, but it's often difficult for them to, to put it into their own words. So how do you teach your teachers and principals to recognize the learning that happens when it's not on a standardized test? Because you take each of those four areas and they're of equal weight. How do you teach them to value and recognize those in different ways? So there's two things before I answer that question. I just, when you talked about idea, like the, the idea that kids don't need to know the why, they just need to behave that way. I think I would even step, step, take a step back. Kids naturally behave that way. 
we're the ones who stop that behavior, right? It, it, you know, every, t- every teacher I've ever met, they say, we want kids to have a passion for learning. We love that they learn. As long as they're on page two and question 13 at 228. If they're not there, I don't care what their level of learning is. Get your little butt there, Johnny, right? And it's not teacher's fault either. That's how they were trained. And that's what they were good at. So here's how we do it. When I hire, when we hire people, uh, my principals do all the selection. I don't select the teachers for my principal's buildings. They do all the selections because ultimately they, they know their buildings best and they know their teams best. So they know what the best fit is. It also is because they're the ones who are going to have to make those hard decisions if we're going to retain the staff. But I do meet with every new staff member we have and I ask them to do three things. First thing is I ask them to be mission driven. Every school district has a mission. Most people don't know what that mission is. So then why then you don't have a mission. You just have a fancy saying. So we, from the, our school board all the way down, every decision we make is vetted through the mission. Educate students to be lifelong learners who are productive, responsible citizens. It makes things much more, you would think it makes things easier. It makes things much more difficult. Because now when you're talking about reducing staff members, you, you weigh that against how does that support the mission? When you're talking about reducing programming, how does that support the mission? Right. So it really is a it's a great way to do it. So I ask them to learn our mission, make every decision they have through that mission. Second thing I ask them to do is I ask them to fail. When we're kids, at some point, we we try anything. You know, most of us will just try anything. At some point, we learn trying and not being able to do is bad. Right. It's usually shame and guilt that's heaped on us. Right. And then they get to school. And at some point in school, we're begging them to try. Just try it. Don't worry about it. Right. Well. What happens for our teachers is most of them have been very successful. So failing for them is very challenging. So I invite them to fail. I need you to fail more often and fail faster. Because if we keep doing the things that we've been doing them, we're not going to, there's no innovation there. So by allowing them, my board celebrates failure. We'll, we'll say we're going to do this pilot. If the pilot doesn't work, we bring it back in. And the answer is it didn't work. And the board's like, great, what are you going to do next? There's no, there is no consequence. It's, it's exciting because now we're going to move to the next thing. So we invite them to be innovative. We invite them to try new things. And so through that innovation lens, you start to open up this curiosity, which now removes what we consider what school is. And we've had a lot, lots of uh, staff members come up with creative, innovative ideas. And the third thing is this. Be responsible for the culture you create in your classroom, across your grade level, or in your department, and in the building that you're in. Because I've, as I've learned, you can have all the material you need, the greatest curriculum, great kids, great teachers. If you have an unhealthy curriculum or unhealthy culture, none of it's going to matter. It's not going to be a great experience. So when we do those three things, I think what we've done is now created the opportunity for teachers to start to think different. I can tell you, though, you can't tell them to think differently. You have to allow them to think differently and build the structure. Yeah, that, that piece is really important because you can't. Like we said earlier, you can't make anybody do anything. They have to come to that themselves. And if they come to that themselves, you can unleash enormous amounts of potential. If you tell them to do it differently, then they just can't do it. You know, that was one of the 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 secrets of my principalship was that I said, any initiative that you want to put forward, that you want to change, we're going we're gonna to accept that because that is you saying, this is what I believe and this is what I want to do. So my initiative 
is I didn't really have any initiatives. My initiative was let's do like, let's have a mission driven school. So in, in my last school, it was all about um, personalizing learning for our students and making sure that it was meeting their needs. And so I said, anything that personalizes learning for students, I'm on board with, and I'm going to support anything that doesn't, it has no place here because that's what our, our directive is. That's what our mission is. That's what we've got to do. That's what's calling us all to do this work. So that's what we're going to focus on. And, and that made it really easy to have tons of initiatives going in the school all at once because each person was focusing on that one thing for them, but we, we weren't all doing, you know, a hundred different things. We're all doing one thing, which was personalizing learning for kids and everybody was doing it in their own way which you can't say personalized learning for kids, but everybody has to do it the same way. <laughs> you know, you've got to allow that personalization to happen at their level as well. So I think that's really good advice. And to be clear, you meet individually with every single new teacher. Is that what you said? Yeah. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we weren't able to do it this last fall, but I met with every teacher we hire. I meet with that person before they come on board. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Good for you. And I'm sure that makes it so you don't have to hire as many teachers later on because they get that pep talk in the beginning and know what their what their role is in those three things, being mission-driven, fail, and be responsible for the culture you create. Those are all powerful things. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot here, Tom, and this has been really great. What is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? So one of the things we we talk about often is we shared this idea a little bit earlier on my future self, right? I often think about tomorrow I will, or next week I should. One of the things I've asked my administrators to do, and I do on a regular basis, is I'm in, I'm doing something intentionally either daily or weekly to make myself meet my future self. And so it doesn't matter what the objective is, you know, like uh, if, if it's the, if it's working out, if it's eating healthier, if it's being in more rooms, if it's taking care of myself, like just getting more time for myself, being nicer to my wife, it's the idea of an incremental change. So I don't know if you're familiar with James Clear, James Clear's work, right? Love him. The idea that I'm going to just change this much and I'm going to do it intentionally. So I'm just going to change just a little bit. And then I'm going to be intentional. And that intentionality means to either be in your calendar, on your screen, in your mirror, wherever it is. So you're forced to take the action. And then maybe in two weeks, do, do two things. But I just think the concept, I, I often work with administrators who fully agree with the idea of what we're going to go into. But between the time we meet and the time we're going to go into it, there's a, there's a breakdown. Well, because life happens. So we need to make sure that we're, we're building incremental steps to make sure that we can adapt to that change. And it's not about goals. It's about what it's actual change. Like, what are you doing different? Yeah, I think that is really valuable. And once again, I want to thank you, Tom, for being part of Transformative Principle. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Turk190, T-U-R-K-190. And uh, thank you so much for being here. And I appreciate your time today, Tom. It's been my pleasure. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes.
You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.